Last week, we began our series, In the Garden. The goal of the series is to be strengthened in our faith so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil, so that we know the extent of sin's destruction, and most importantly, to stand in the truth of who Jesus Christ is, his grace, his love, his mercy, and his salvation. In simple terms, we're going to spend some time in the garden, and we are spending some time in the garden, because if you get wrong the fall, you get it wrong all. If you get wrong the fall, you get it wrong all. So last week we took a look, just as a reminder, at, in part one, it was Satan, and there were four schemes of Satan. If you recall, it was to cast doubt on God's God and God's word to ignore the consequences, to emphasize the benefits, and then to make you a God. All of these schemes are to cause you to sin. Hence, today, part two is sin. So before we get into this section, let's just set a little context, right? Just make sure we all know where we are. In chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, it is the creation of the world, creation of the universe, and creation of the world. There was the creation of heavens, the creation of the earth, the creation of water, creation of everything that was living in the water, of the land, everything living on the land, and of course, then there was also Adam and Eve. And God said of his creation, it was good, right? It was good. And he told Adam and Eve, you have the run of this place. You can do everything you want except one thing. And that one thing is that you may not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Or the the tree of knowledge. So if they did that, if they ate of the tree, what would happen? They would die. And of course we know what happened. They ate of the tree, didn't they? And thus paradise was lost. Now, you and I, we know this story pretty well, and it's really easy to kind of like gloss through a little bit in the first two chapters of Genesis, even chapter three, we kind of go, yep, 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 I know that one. And therefore we gloss over it. But if we gloss over it, we gloss over sin and its consequences. And we cannot gloss over sin and its consequences. Because if you do not understand sin and its consequences, you do not understand salvation. Let me say it again. If you gloss over, if you do not understand sin and its consequences, you do not understand salvation. You don't understand who Jesus is and why he came. So the purpose today is to understand, not just kind of get in the muck of sin, but to understand sin, its consequences, so that we can also understand then the depth of Jesus and his love for us, the one who bore the curse of sin. So we're going to take a look at sin. There are three primary effects of sin, three primary consequences. There's more to it than this, but we're going to just stick with the text and find out the primary examples of the consequences of sin. They are alienation, pain, and death. Alienation, pain, and death. So let's go with the first one, going to our text now. Genesis chapter 3, starting verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then both of their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Before they ate, right? Before Adam had his mate, God said, I'm going to make a person for you, a helpmate, which is more like a puzzle piece that fits together perfectly. And when Adam discovered Eve, he said this, this at last is the bone of my flesh, the the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is his declaration, at last, at last, he knew somebody, and they were made for each other. There was a union, a fitting together, bone of bone, flesh of flesh, and there was complete harmony, and it was joy. That was his declaration, it was joy, at last, and now, now. Before the fall, there was union. There was harmony. Look, there was union with all of creation. There was union with Eve. There was union and communion with God himself. But then, sin. And with sin came alienation. What is alienation? Alienation is a state of being separate or apart from something or someone. Alienation is a state of being separate or apart from something or someone. So alienation is more than just separation, isn't it? It's deeper than that. It is is an estrangement from someone you knew. Look, I don't actually have to preach to you about alienation. You knew this. How many of you went to school? You know about alienation, don't you? You weren't with the in crowd. You were somehow apart from them. You didn't feel apart. You didn't feel part of them at all. You know this. You know this from your workplace often. Often in workplace, especially in corporate America, there are cliques still, right? It's kind of like school in a way. And you feel alienated from them. Social clubs. Sometimes... The saddest thing is, at church, there are a lot of people who go to church who feel alienated, not part of the crowd. So you already know about alienation. But the trouble is, the examples I gave where people kind of alienated you, but you know what the problem is with Adam and Eve? They were the cause of their their own alienation. There wasn't other people. There weren't other people. They themselves were the cause of their own alienation. In that split moment where there was union, now there was separation, now there was alienation, and in their mind, they must have thought something like, what have I done? What have I done? In that moment of separation, there are three feelings or responses that often come up that will indicate alienation. The first one is shame. Shame. Shame is a deep sense of regret. It happens when we know that we have done something wrong. 
or acted in a foolish manner. Now, we often talk about guilt and shame, right? They are often intertwined and go hand in hand, but they are not the same thing. You see, guilt talks about the outward behavior, what somebody has done. Shame is realizing that you have failed in a moral manner. Right? There are a lot of robbers who feel no shame, right? They're guilty because of their behavior, but they feel no shame. But an Adam and Eve felt shame. I bet if I asked you, you could come up with an example of your own where you first felt shame somewhere in your life. Somewhere you said something, you did something you knew just at that moment when you said it or when you did it, it was wrong. And the response to that is to kind of want to cover it up, isn't it? Like you would, I mean, when you're in a group of people and you said something wrong, don't you just want to put a blanket over your head or something like that? Right? You just, you just want to cover up somehow. That's what Adam and Eve did. They realized they were naked. Now, by the way, nakedness was not a sin. Look, they were naked beforehand, weren't they? That wasn't a sin. They were in complete harmony, complete union. But now they saw, oh, and they realized who I am and the shame. And so they covered themselves up. I bet you've tried to do the same. I bet you've tried to cover yourself up somehow, some way, some shape, form. But it doesn't work really well, does it? Because the more you try to cover yourself up, the more you realize how awful it is and how much you want to do what's what Adam and Eve did is you want to hide. Because when shame gets so deep, you can't bear it. And you want to cover yourself up, but you want to run away. You want to hide. And that's the second reaction. Hide. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. In uh, our Bible study, I gave an example this Wednesday, um, I think it was Wednesday, um, of when I was young, I was, uh, had a slingshot called a wrist rocket. Anybody know what a wrist rocket is? A couple people? It is like one powerful, powerful slingshot. You can actually go hunting with small animals with this slingshot. Well, I don't know. I was maybe I don't know, eight, something like that. And my friend and I, we were kind of hiding. Uh, there was a ledge by the house, right by the front door. And about from here to maybe the office back there, that's where the street was. And, of course, cars would go by, right? You got where this is leading? Well, we did target practice. We were not good, by the way. But one time, I hit a car, and it stopped. And the guy came out, my friend... He and I went, whoa, and we ran around to the back of the house. Now, he scooted right up the hill because his house was behind ours, up the hill. He ran home. 
I found we had a camper, you know, one of those pull-along campers that expand out. I went into that, and I hid my eight-year-old body. And I, I, I don't even know where I hid, but I scrunched down as hard as I could. I got in there, and I heard the sound of my father coming, right? And I scrunched down even further. And the guy came in the camper, too. They didn't find me. I hid. But you know that that phrase, you can run, but you can't hide? Well, you can try to run from God, but you can't hide from God. God knows what you've done. We try to hide from God. God, when he said to Adam, where are you? It wasn't like God was like, well, I don't know where Adam is. No, he was calling him out, giving him an opportunity to confess, but he did not. Because we do not like the idea of shame. We do not like the idea of sin. And so we deflect it. And we deflect it in the main way we know how, which is to blame. And that is a third part of alienation, to blame. Starting with verse 11 here. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is, what is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Uh, the woman, I'm sorry. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So here's what happened, right? Adam said, look, God, that woman you gave, that's your fault, by the way, but it's really, she, she, she got me into trouble. And of course, Eve put the blame on the serpent, right? This is the blame game. This is the deflecting game. And we don't just do this as adults. We know how to do this from the get-go. Let's say little Billy's in the room here. There are muddy handprints all over the wall. Mom or dad comes in. Billy, did you do that? No. Well, were you in the room? Yes. Was anybody with you? No. Do you have mud on your hands? Yes. Did you do that? I don't know. Right? We do that from the very beginning. And we do that really in a sophisticated manner as adults. Take a look at all the news nowadays. Let's say some leader, could be a politician, but it could be any leader, company, whatever, has an adulterous affair. So what do they say about that person? Well, I had a lapse in judgment. It was an indiscretion. It really wasn't me. It was just a mistake I made in the moment. You know what nobody ever says anymore? I sinned against my wife. I sinned against my husband. That happens. You think of anything that people do, they don't call it sin anymore. As a matter of fact, if you say to somebody, you sinned, boy, you want to see fireworks go off then? They'll go, don't you dare say that I've sinned. Why would that be such an issue? Because then they would have to admit by their own nature, by who they are, they have sinned against another. It wasn't just a little indiscretion. You see, we will do anything in our power to deflect the idea that we 
at heart are sinners. Therefore, we'll blame anybody else. Oh, you know, I know I have a temper, but that's just the way God made me. I know I had an affair. It was wrong, I guess. But, you know, that's part of evolution, isn't it? Right? To have as many partners as you can. I shouldn't use such rough language. I know. Excuse my French. And by the way, it's never in French. I shouldn't use such language, but everybody does it. These are all blame-shifting sentences. We blame the economy, we blame climate change, we blame the police, corporations, the rich, politicians, blame the church, blame the church leaders, blame members of the church. And if none of that finally works, well then, let's go ahead and blame God. But blaming God is simply another way of running away, isn't it? Of deflecting it. So maybe for you today, it's time to stop hiding. It's time to stop covering yourself up. It's time to stop running. Maybe today, it's time to go to the cross. See, when we come to the cross, and we look at Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, there's nothing we can do but just to lay it at his feet and say, Lord, Against you and you alone, I've sinned. You kneel at the cross and you say, Jesus, I am asking. I repent and I am asking that you create in me a clean heart. Restore to me, to you. That's what you do. Maybe today it's time to stop hiding. It's time to stop running. It's time to hear these words. From 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, you would think that alienation and what I've just said is enough to stop people in their tracks regarding sin. But it's not. And therefore, there is pain. And this is the second Manifestation, the second result of sin, pain. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your, ch- your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, life, thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of sin, the joy that was in paradise was lost. An equal marriage became an unequal partnership. And now, for Eve, there would be pain in childbearing. I don't profess to speak about the pain of childbearing at all. I will let the women speak for that. I do know, however, men should never say this. And one guy actually did. I was teaching a class one time, and he told his wife while she was in labor, I know what you're feeling. He survived. 
to talk about it. But the pain of childbirth, right? It is for many women agony. And it is not only that, there are effects to the body that often last for the rest of your life. Pain. The reminder, we live in a fallen world. For Adam, for men, it is work, it is toil just to survive. Look, the beautiful garden that they were in now would have thorns and thistles. Has anybody had to deal with stinging nettle before? Stinging nettle, when you touch it and it gets into there, it's not just a little prick or a poke, it burns. As a matter of fact, thistles are often called, and I want to get this right, the devil's plant. It actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Eden, why we call thistles the devil's plant, because there is the sting of sin. And there's got to be toil now. Now you've got to work. Listen, I know for most of you, I don't have to talk about pain. You know the pain. A lot of you have the aches and pains of just growing older. You know, you got to work. Some have the financial resources, some don't. There's broken relationships. There's pain in this world. The pain is a consequence of sin. Pain is a continual reminder of the effects of sin. Pain forces us to look to the one who can take it away. Pain forces us to look to the one who can take it away the pain and the sorrow of sin. Often people sometimes don't get religion till they're older because they know the pain of life, Right? And they know that this world doesn't have the answer, but Jesus is the answer. So there's alienation, there is pain, and finally there is death. Remember what God promised Adam and Eve in in regarding the tree? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, this is from Genesis 2, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that it eat of it you shall surely die. When God makes a promise, he must fulfill his promise. And the promise is you eat of the tree, you die. So God, being a just God, must fulfill his word. And the ultimate sting of sin is death and damnation. The ultimate sting effect of sin is death and damnation. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 5, starting verse, just at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. You know what happened because of Adam and Eve's legacy of, in sin? Death entered into paradise. And do you know how quickly death entered into paradise? Turned it, if you look in chapter 4, what happened? Who killed Abel? Cain. Now that DNA, the corrupted nature of Adam, had been given to his 
children, his offspring. And there was murder. And as you can see, we have that corrupted nature, and there is murder throughout. Some of you might be saying, well, I don't murder anybody, but Jesus said, if you hate your brother, right? You've already murdered him. This is the legacy. See, we have to understand that we have inherited that sin, and it has corrupted us through and through through and through. Paul wrote this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now raise your hand if you're the exception to sin. We can talk afterwards. All have sinned. That means you and me are sinners through and through. And the penalty or the wages for sin is death. But there's an even greater death that occurs. It is damnation. From our scripture reading, from our gospel reading today, Jesus wasn't fooling around with sin. He wasn't saying, well, just don't worry about it. No, he said this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Yeah, read that one. Let that one soak in. The effect of sin is damnation. It's not just a little thing. See, you and I, before Christ, before Christ, are just dead men walking. If you want to note this in your sermon notes, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 8. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, when it says you, put your name in there. And you, Clayton, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by children, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. These are convicting words if you actually take them in. But now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, I want you to circle this. If you're in your Bible, or if you got it, note, it says, but God. Those should be some of the sweetest words for you. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in the trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated and seated and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the only answer to sin is Christ Jesus. Period. Look, I didn't want to have to write this sermon. I don't like dealing with this topic. And I'm going to guess most of you don't like dealing with sin either. Rather avoid it. Rather downplay it. But the effects of sin are grave. But in Christ Jesus, you and I, our new creation. 
Because God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we are the righteousness of God. So I'm going to implore you this day, you sitting there, be reconciled to God. Confess your sins to him and receive his forgiveness. This is the message this day. Amen.